This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's Friday, which means the news panel gets together. Let's welcome into the show one of our panelists, Joita Gupta. Hey, good morning, Joita. Indeed. And we'll say hello to Michelle McQuig in just a moment. But well, we'll say hello to Michelle right now. Good morning, Michelle McQuig. <laughs> good morning, friends. So let's jump right into our first story, guys. We have three topics on the docket today, and they're all juicy ones. Hockey Canada CEO Scott Smith and the rest of the board are stepping down after months of scandals surrounding multiple allegations of institutional mismanagement of reported sexual assaults. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the resignations are an important first step in rebuilding accountability, but Trudeau notes there is much more work to do. Well, I think seeing uh, the entire board and the CEO step down is an important step forward. Uh, But there is a culture to change. There is an awful lot of work to ensure uh, that the structures and systems that Hockey Canada has in place uh, protects employees, protects Canadians, protects our kids as they play hockey. Sponsors had been withdrawing support from the organization, especially over the last few weeks. The federal government froze funding over the summer. Minister of Sport Pascal Saint-Ange plans to review how Ottawa funds national sports organizations. On my side, at the federal level, what I'm working on right now to improve the sports system is I'm going to review the entire funding system. So all the organizations that receive federal funding are going to have higher expectations in regards to governance, transparency, uh, prevention of abuse and maltreatment in sport. Michelle, we talked about this during the summer, but you felt we should revisit it. Why? I did because it's it this week the past two weeks in particular really felt almost COVID-esque in just the, the rapid fire developments. It seemed like every hour there was someone else walking away from the table in terms of a sponsorship or someone else stepping down or more pressure being brought to bear from a significant and maybe even unexpected quarter. So there have been a lot of developments on this file on Hockey Canada specifically in the past couple of weeks. And now I thought it was time to revisit it because a government committee is also going to start branching out and trying to look at ways in which these kinds of situations can be averted in other sports. Uh, It doesn't get discussed very much, but lots of other Canadian athletic organizations and associations have been coming under similar fire. Um, I'm, forget, I'm blanking now whether it's Alpine Canada or, or, or Skate Canada or some other organization also had its funding pulled earlier this year, but it never really gets discussed in light of Hockey Canada. Uh, with, with culture change on the mind for a lot of politicians, it just seemed to me like this was another good time to not only rehash some of the developments that have gone down since we last talked about this, but look ahead to an issue that obviously is not going to be going away anytime soon. Joita, the last time we spoke about this was the week the federal government froze the funding to Hockey Canada. Since then, it's been a couple of months, were there any of the developments that particularly struck you as notable? Yeah, I think after the um, after the federal government froze funding to Hockey Canada, I really thought that would be the turning point where we would see some change, uh, not because the federal funding makes up the largest portion of the funding envelope. It does not, but because it received a lot of public attention. And yet it felt like the board uh, sat on its hands and made some gestures towards improving the culture, but didn't really do anything substantial. And what has been really interesting to me, because unless you're a total nerd, you're probably not thinking about the business side of sport. 
but I'm a total nerd. So I'm often intrigued by the flow of money. And we don't really associate amateur sport of any kind, including hockey, with the flow of money. But there is a lot of money involved. And the development that has really piqued my interest in the last couple of weeks has been all of these sponsors walking away. You think about Tim Hortons, Canadian Tire, TELUS, you name them. They're all jumping ship. And, of course, a number of provincial hockey federations have also pulled out. So, obviously, this is a way to distance, but it was also, I think, the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't see how the board could have done anything but resigned, given the mass exodus of sponsors. So, I am really curious to see if this now will be the turning point, given that, uh, loath as I am to say it, it is often money that talks. Yeah, no, it, that, that was my key takeaway here too, Joita. When, when major companies like Nike and Bauer and Tim Hortons and TELUS, all of these companies that you mentioned said, you know what, we don't want our brand associated with this anymore. That's what got these wheels turning. And most of that happened inside the last 10 to 12 days. I, I actually can't even put my finger on why the last 10 to 12 days ended up being the catalyzation point because it felt like perhaps the board and the CEO were ready to weather the storm but it seemed every opportunity they had to try and make good or try to re- restore faith, they would end up putting their foot in their mouth or embarrassing mm-hmm. themselves. So it was yeah. over and over and over again that they thought they could just sort of stonewall this. And eventually the public attention got to be too strong. And those brands are massive, massive Canadian brands. They didn't want to be associated anymore. And for one of those brands to say, we don't want to be associated with the national hockey program, I think really resonated. And at a certain point, when you lose the financial viability of the organization, that was it. So I, I agree with you, Joita. It might be loath to talk about it, but at the end of the day, money is what finances the sole operation. And when the money dried up, it was time for the board to go, which is cynical. And it makes you wonder about whether or not you can actually get a culture change here if all it is that money that talks. But that's going to be that's going to be one of the developments that we're watching in the rebuilding phase here. But let's come back to the institutional side of this, because fundamentally the conversation we're having here is what I would call more of the master's level conversation in regards to discussing what sexual assault is from an institutional point of view. Because one of the criticisms that you're reading over and over again is, well, shouldn't the players be punished? Shouldn't the players be punished? Yes, the players who conducted some of these assaults should be punished. But the issue at play for Hockey Canada is that they made it impossible for them to be punished by a lack of transparency and paying people off. That's going to be ultimately what the crux of this is. So that's why this investigation and this conversation is so institutionally focused. And sports typically ends up being a microcosm of society at large. And organizationally, institutions usually have to grapple with these broader societal issues. Michelle, what do you think of its capacity, the institution of sport, the institution of hockey, of its capacity to do so? Well, this is, this is another reason why I brought the topic up. And I just wanted to say that I, I, I feel like we're all sharing brains here today, guys, because the, the, the corporate sponsorship element was what really got me in this whole situation. And I also, I honestly found it kind of discouraging that it wasn't until those really big ticket sponsors started to walk away that we started to see the kind of meaningful change that the government was pushing for. Um, and I, I feel like this sort of is emblematic of a lot of other similar situations we've seen in sport in that, I, in my estimation anyway, sport is always one of the last sectors to implement 
changes that have been taking place in society at large. We always see sport being a little bit behind the times in, in matters like this one, for instance. So they're now having the you know, Hockey Canada right now is facing the sort of Me Too reckoning that others started to face in 2017. They seem to be behind the times on racial conversations. Remember all the, the taking a knee controversy with Colin Kaepernick and, and others in, in sport there. Uh, they've been slower to tackle uh, issues of, of domestic violence. They've been slower to include more LGBTQ athletes and, and foster a culture of inclusion there. So to me, while, yes, sport absolutely is a microcosm of society, and, and I've, I've always found the intersection between sport and social issues really fascinating in politics and all, all those things, it, it always seems to be slower on the uptake to get on board with these kinds of changes and, and get with the times. And I, I feel like this is another example, and I've always wondered why sports specifically seems to be a bit more resistant to that kind of change. Um, what I think is an additional dimension to the Hockey Canada situation in particular is that hockey, for good or ill, uh, that's a whole other conversation, is so tightly tied to Canadian identity, at least in, in shorthand and in sort of global shortcut terms. So I feel like Canada is really now only starting to get serious about sexual misconduct in sport and that culture that fosters it because it's affecting hockey in particular. And I find that a bit disheartening, to be honest. So I reject your premise a little bit there, Michelle, that sports is Fair slow. <laughs> I believe that the issue is that sports ends up becoming one of the last remaining pillars of monoculture. So when there's an incident in sports, when there's a controversy in sports, the spotlight shines extremely, extremely brightly. I would argue that now this is now, now again, the important thing to differentiate here is athletes versus institutions, because I would argue yes, that absolutely. athletes yeah. tend to actually push social issues forward in a way that's ahead of most of society. But it's the institutions that end up reacting slowly. And that's one of the reasons. Strongly reason, agree. And, I, I was making that a record. Absolutely right. And, and that's one of the reasons why I believe perhaps we distrust the capacity of institutions to deal with this. Right. That Colin Kaepernick took that knee in 2016 and it took the NFL almost four years and the death of George Floyd to actually try to take any kind of action from, from the public relations perspective within the sport. So I agree with you in the sense that institutions are slow, but I actually believe it's that sports ends up putting spotlights on these issues in a way that actually changes the conversation. Ray Rice and domestic abuse, I would argue when that happened in 2014, that absolutely changed the mainstream conversation in regards to what domestic abuse looked like when he hit his fiance in that elevator. When we saw that video, it resonated with people in a way that I don't think the conversation resonated before. Joita, sorry, I don't mean to be leaving you out here. I want to get your perspective on the capacity of sports and sporting organizations as institutions to grapple with these societal issues. Yeah, I think because athletes become such big figures and loom large in public consciousness, when there is ever a scandal involving domestic abuse or uh, LGBT issues or taking a knee, it does resonate beyond the field. So to those who will say that sport is sport and has no resonance beyond the playing field, um, sorry, but I have to disagree with you on that. And I think yeah. part of the reason, I, but I do tend to lean in favor of Michelle's argument in that I think that sport is a microcosm, but it also exists in a bit of a bubble. And I think Michelle did a really good job of, of outlining the many, many instances where sport, uh, sporting institutions have been late to the party, have not been the early adopters of change. And I really wondered why that is. I think athletes and the institutions that prop them up are under a lot of pressure 
pressure to keep the sponsorship dollars, pressure to keep uh, athletes performing at a high, you know, at a high level. Ultimately, as I said to you a few minutes ago, we have to come back to the money. It's all about keeping the flow of money and, and, and making sure the sponsors are kept happy. How do you do that? You do that by doing the following. If you're an athlete backed up by an institution, what is your focus? Your focus is to win. And so if you are an athlete that is winning, if you are the star of the show, if you are the a hockey player that's making a lot of goals, there is a lot that gets forgiven and swept under the rug. And your, a lot of work is done to make sure your reputation is kept squeaky clean. And so things like domestic abuse or in this instance, sexual assault often get treated as, and I'm not saying this is right, but I think they get treated as personal problems or as distractions or things that take away from winning. And that's the real problem with why institutions are so slow to react, why they operate at a glacial pace. And so the institution is actually protecting a player who's winning and sidelining and silencing people who would come forward. Uh, they, and there, there are two things at play here. One, of course, is there's a long history of abuse in hockey directed at players themselves. Uh, Sheldon Kennedy and uh, Theo Flory, they've been very candid about their experience. I actually think we've talked more about that. But what hasn't really been discussed is the impact on women. And what you're seeing is these players who are hyped up, they're told you're celebrities, you, uh, you're, you have access to booze, to women, to money. And they're all operating in this bubble, often with amateur sports. They're living far away from their families and communities, and there's very little accountability. But the institution that is setting this all up doesn't really care that there's a lack of accountability because there is money to be made and athletes to be propped up so long as they keep on winning. Julia, I'm going to stay with you here because I want to wrap up. I'm going to, I'm going to cram three questions together that I'm going to ask to you, and then we're going to give it to Michelle for last word on this one. Based on that last answer, I think I know what your answer to this is going to be. Can institutions self-correct without a larger oversight? Is a government committee the answer? If not a government committee, then what? Yeah, I don't think that they can necessarily self-correct. It's a bit like the fox watching the hen house. The government committee isn't the answer, but it is a good start. And it's a good start because the government does have the ability to push certain things to the forefront, like you know having a public inquiry, getting different voices heard, and holding the government accountable because they're at least in part holding the purse strings. But it needs more than yeah. that. It needs involvement from communities. It needs involvement from players themselves. It needs buy-in from sports organizations. It needs a lot of people coming to the table and saying, we need to turn a corner and we need to change. The two things I would like to see put in place in the short term, like right away, is uh, whistleblower protection. I think uh, we have, might have people who see here or do or, or are privy to something that they want to complain about but feel that they can't. This could be a coach. It could be anybody who observes sexual misconduct um, but feel that they can't come forward. So we need stronger whistleblower protection. The second thing that I think we need is an independent complaint mechanism. So if you look at this yes. particular case involving the World Junior Team, again, who was investigating Hockey Canada? Hockey Canada. Come on, guys, that is not a way to conduct an independent investigation. So we need to have some kind of an independent complaint process so that complainants can feel assured that there's a bit of distance and that they're actually getting hurt. I would make a quick comment here saying that any kind of resolution on this is that public money shouldn't be going to uh, 
what I would call monetarily successful sports. Uh, government money should only be going towards equity programs inside places like Hockey Canada in regards to growing the women's game, uh, growing para, para, uh, para ice hockey, blind hockey. It should be going to equity programs or like uh, programs in underserved, underprivileged communities. That's where government dollars should be going, not to be paying for 20,000-seat arenas and World Junior Championships that make oodles of dough. Michelle, last thought here going to you. Can these institutions regulate without self, without like, without some kind of oversight? Is government the answer? If not, if government's not the answer, then what? I, I really, uh, Joita, have to thank you for, for channeling directly into my brain and saying a lot of what I would have said here. No, I don't believe institutions can or should self-correct or be expected to. It, clearly, they don't necessarily even know how, even if they want to do it. Uh, is government the answer? I don't think it is the entire solution. Um, I think we've just demonstrated, we've seen a pretty graphic example of the fact that government action didn't spur change, but corporate action did. Uh, so I do think we're going to need to see some driver of action from the government in that they, Joey is right, they do hold some of the purse strings, so not all of them. And an independent oversight body would be a great, great start. In fact, I, I will note that on the government action front, there is going to be now an integrity of, uh, I believe it's integrity sport commissioner. The, the title, I had to switch laptops and my notes are on the other machine. <laughs> so I apologize that it's not right before me, but uh, there is going to be someone designated to handle these kinds of complaints beyond hockey, which I think is really important. I, I would hate to see other sports and the need for cultural change on a broader spectrum over overshadowed by what's happening in hockey specifically. Thank you for revisiting this topic with us. It's an important one, and I sense we'll end up revisiting, revisiting it some more on the show. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.